0: Please turn to the 19th chapter of the book of Psalms. Millard, Miller Burroughs, a professor of New Testament at Yale University, says, quote, The Bible is full of things which to an intelligent, educated person of today are either quite incredible or at best highly questionable. The protracted struggle of theology to defend the inerrancy of the Bible, that is, its complete truth, Against the findings of astronomy, geology, and biology has been a series of retreats which has led to a defeat. And uh, all wise theologians move to a better position. James Boyce, a member of our denomination, excellent uh, pastor of the 10th Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, has written a little book, Does Inerrancy Matter? And he quotes here from a questionnaire that was mailed out by Western Reserve University recently to 10,000 ministers in five leading denominations in the United States. Seventy-five hundred of these ministers responded. Uh, One of the questions that was asked, Do you believe the Bible to be the inspired Word of God? Uh, The answer of 82% of the Methodist ministers that responded, 89% of the Episcopalian ministers that responded, 81% of the United Presbyterian, that's not us, 57% of the Baptists, 57% of the Lutherans answered no. We do not believe the Bible to be the inspired Word of God. Boyce points out in his little pamphlet how much difference that attitude then makes in terms of authority within the church, in terms of preaching, in terms of the general health of the church. So that you find people uh, in the church saying, I know the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin, but after all, we've gotten beyond such things, and we know today that it's all right. Or you would have a leader of the World Council of Churches, um, such as, One leader who recently published a book, The Bible and People of Other Faiths, who says something like this. My little girl says that her daddy is the best daddy in the world. My neighbor's little girl says that her daddy is the best daddy in the world. Both are true. I'm the best daddy for my little girl, and he's the best daddy for his little girl. We say that Christian faith or the Christian religion is the best religion. A Muslim says that the Mohammedan faith is the best religion. Both are true. His is best for him. Ours is best for us. Now, what does that do to the unique claims of the Bible and the unique claims of Jesus Christ? Jesus said that he was the unique Son of God and that he was the way, the truth, the life, and no one could come to the Father but by him. Well, of course, that totally contradicts that unique claim. How can he teach such a thing? Well, he long since has decided that Jesus didn't really make those claims. Uh, To quote him, he says the fourth gospel is not a historical document where Jesus says that, uh, but a prime example of the faith reflections of the early church, etc. Inerrancy uh, makes a big difference. Boyce defines inerrancy like this. He says, inerrancy means that when all of the facts are known, the scriptures in their original autographs, that's as Isaiah wrote Isaiah, as John wrote John, not any particular version like the King James Version, but in the original autographs, and properly interpreted will be shown to be totally true in everything they teach, whether that teaching has to do with doctrine, with history, with science, geography, geology, or any other discipline or knowledge. A more concise definition, what Scripture says, God says, through men and without error. That's the doctrine of biblical inerrancy, which is the doctrine of our denomination. Now, this is uh, no small matter The Southern Baptist Convention has been embroiled in the throes of debate over this for some years now. Uh, Last year, when the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Atlanta, Charles Stanley, was running for president of the Southern Baptist Convention, 2,000 Baptists in Georgia took out a full-page ad in the Atlanta Constitution urging people to not vote for Charles Stanley because he stood for biblical inerrancy. W.A. Criswell uh, is quoted in a recent book that's been published on the whole issue there in the Southern Baptist Church, The Truth in Crisis, the Controversy in the Southern Baptist Convention. Criswell, who is the pastor of the largest Southern Baptist Church, First Baptist Church of Dallas, said that those who are opposed to himself and Stanley and the others who stand for biblical inerrancy say that the Bible is inspired in spots and that they are inspired to spot the spots. Well, uh, to give you a little feel of the type of thing that is upsetting the Southern Baptists, the president of their largest seminary, Southern Seminary, the president's name, Randall Lolly, was recently asked, his view of the early chapters of Genesis. That's one of your most controversial areas of the Bible. Was there a real Adam and a real Eve, etc.? Was there a real fall, so on? And he responded like this. He said, I think the early chapters of Genesis uh, are authentic, literal, although I don't have an explanation of literal. To say they are real history is not enough. I think they are supra-historical. Above history, holy history, I believe there was a man named Noah, men named Cain and Abel. There are references in scripture to these. Whether they were absolute persons with names and addresses, I don't know. Let me read that again. I believe there was a man named Noah, men named Cain and Abel. There are references in scriptures to these. Whether they were absolute persons with names and addresses, I don't know. I'll have to wait until glory to find out. That's what's known as double talk. Seminary presidents are great at it. And that's what's troubling the Southern Baptist Convention. It's no small matter. Creswell wrote 36,000 pastors urging them to be sure and be in attendance at the Southern Baptist Convention and have their representatives there to vote for Stanley. There were 44,000 representatives at that Southern Baptist Convention when it met this past summer. And the vote was taken, and the vote came out 55% for Stanley. That's not an overwhelming vote, is it, with both sides doing all they can to get their troops out. We're going to start a study on the Psalms today. And uh, the 19th Psalm deals with... God's revelation of Himself. It's not a defense of the Scriptures, a detailed defense, but it extols the virtue of the Bible. What could be more important? If there is a God who created and controls the universe, before whom you and I must one day stand, what could be more important than finding out about it, knowing about it? If He's made Himself known to us, discovering that. And this is what the 19th Psalm deals with here. It says, first, that God has revealed himself in nature, that that the glory of God is revealed in nature. Verse 1, the fact of this is stated, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, the expanse of the universe, showeth his handiwork. God's glory is his attributes, his wisdom and his power. The heavens, the universe, is telling forth God's glory, his attributes. Think about the incredible design of the universe, uh, the order of it, so that each thing is in its place and nothing gets uh, off course. Everything, time, the earth rotating just as it should. Uh, on its axis, around the sun, etc., etc. Think of the distances involved in the universe. Light travels at 186,282 miles per second. That is, that if you could shine a flashlight and the light was powerful enough to extend and it could curve, that from the time you cut that spotlight on, it would travel around the Earth seven times in a second. Now if you could if it could just shine out for a year, you'd have seven times in a second times sixty, uh, seconds in a minute times sixty minutes in an hour times twenty four hours in a day. When I was preaching eight thirty I said forty eight hours in a day. Us Auburn engineers get more time in a day. <laughs> and uh then uh, you do that for three hundred and sixty five days. That's the distance that light would travel in a year. That's a light year. Six trillion miles in a light year. There's a nearby galaxy that's nine million light years away from us. Six trillion times nine million. I can't even put that all together. That's a nearby galaxy. Incredible distances. God commanded and that came into being. He spake. And it was done. The heavens declare are telling forth the glory of God, says the psalmist. Verse 2, day unto day uh, and night unto night. This is going on day and night. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. Constantly, day and night, we are being told things about God. It bubbles forth is literally what the Hebrew says. Every nook and cranny of the universe is bubbling forth this glory of God. Verse 3, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. This testimony is universal. Everywhere you go, it's there. Their line is gone throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the poet, says, Earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush is aflame with God. But only those who see take off their shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Exactly. He illustrates his point with the sun. He says, in them, in these heavens, hath he set a tabernacle, a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. Think of that sun every morning. doesn't get any weaker. Every morning that sun gets up and runs his race from one end of heaven to the other. His going forth is from the end of heaven and his circuit under the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Heaven declares the glory of God. What are the implication of that? The implication is God is glory us. God is weighty. God is someone we must take into account. If God is like that, I must worship him. That's the implication. Now, the heavens declare the glory of God, but the heavens don't declare the will of God. What does he want me to do? What is he like? I can see he's powerful and incredible and wise and a, a and tremendous engineer. But what's my relation to him? What about life after death? I know I've done things that my conscience tell me wrong. How does that relate to him? Is there any way of being forgiven? God gives a further revelation. And the psalmist speaks of the glory of the Bible as God's revelation. In uh, the first verses of this part, verses 7 to 9, he speaks of the nature of the Bible and the work of the Bible. Verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law, in speaking here of the commandments, but the Scripture, the law and the prophets, the Scripture is perfect. It's a perfect Revelation of all that God wanted to say. It converts the soul. It restores the soul. It convicts those who need convicting. It humbles the proud. It subdues our rebelliousness. It revives our soul. I was reading a book recently uh, and uh, a gentleman shared an experience he had on the plane. Got on the plane going to Chicago. He was dead tired, hadn't slept. He was a Christian. And he first went on the plane and got him a seat by the window there and sat down and he prayed, as was his habit Lord, if there's anyone that you want me to talk to on this plane, you bring me in contact with him. He hoped there wasn't. He was tired. He wanted to sleep. Settled back, shut his eyes. A lot of people got on. He didn't pay attention. Nobody sat next to him. Until the plane started taking off, and then somebody sat next to him. He looked over. It was the stewardess. She looked upset. He said, You look upset. She said, Does it show? He said, It sure does. She said, Well, I, I just broke up a man with a man I'd been going with. I think he ran off with another woman. He said, Well, why don't you thank the Lord and get you a, a good husband, a good man. She looked at him. She said, I want to talk to you and as soon as I get through waiting on the customers. She came back and sat down, she said, uh, what does a girl do when she's going to become a mother and is unmarried? He said, you tell me. She said, I had an operation, but I know it was wrong. I feel like a murderer, and I have considered killing myself. That's why I'm going to a psychiatrist. He says, I was trying to choose words to say to her when all at once I realized they would already been chosen for me. Here in my briefcase, I have a copy of a prayer that a man prayed who was guilty of the same two sins you are, adultery and murder. As a result of this prayer, God forgave him. He cleaned him inside and out and made him as innocent as the day he was born. She said, I sure would like to see that prayer. So he opened his briefcase and took out his Bible and turned to the 51st Psalm, David's Prayer, which he prayed after his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband, Uriah. Against thee, thee only have I sinned, done this evil in thy sight. Purge me with hyssop, the little branch that they dipped in the blood of the sacrifices. Purge me with the blood of the sacrifices, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create a clean heart within me. Renew a right spirit within me. The sacrifices of God are a humble and contrite heart. A broken heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. He explained to her the meaning that the sacrifices pointed to Jesus Christ who would die for our sins. He said, Now if you will do as David did and pray as he prayed, put your faith in Jesus Christ, look to God to cleanse you through his shed blood, you will be forgiven. As David was, and be cleansed. She said, "I don't. I, I want to, but I don't know how." And he said, "I'll help you." And she prayed and invited Jesus Christ into her life. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Some testimony is not sure. You look around the world; there's a lot of wrong testimony and false testimony. But God's testimony in His Word, what He declares is sure. Making wise the simple. Making wise those who are humble enough to receive it. The statutes of the Lord, His commandments, His rules are right. Not all rules that are made today are right. The government makes some rules that are not right. But God's rules are right. And when we obey them, it rejoices the heart. It brings joy. People look for joy in breaking God's rules. But that doesn't bring joy. The commandment of the Lord, again, the emphasis on rules and obedience, is pure, enlightening the eyes. God opens our spiritual eyes as we follow His commandments. As we walk in the light, we get light. We understand about life, why we're here, what He's like, what we're like, how to be right with Him, what He'd have us to do, what awaits us after life. Uh, The fear of the Lord, that's a response to the Word of God. A true fear of God, a true worship of God. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord, His decisions as recorded in Scripture, are true and righteous altogether. There's the nature of the Bible and the work of the Bible. Nothing else is going to do those things for us. Nothing else will do those things for us. How valuable is the Bible then? David tells us how he regarded it. More to be desired are they than gold. He looks around and he says, the most valuable thing I can think of as far as the world values things is gold. It's nothing compared to the Scripture. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That's David's... Estimation of the value of the Bible. He loved the Bible. He only had about the first six books of the Bible. We see the glory of God is revealed in nature. The glory of the scriptures is God's revelation. The gratitude David felt as a recipient of these revelations. Particularly the scriptures. Verse eleven Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. He said, You know, one thing the Bible has done for me is protected me. In slippery paths hast warned me. By them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. I've profited through the Bible. As I have followed what it says, I've been blessed and I will be blessed. He says, uh, the Bible probes me. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Lord, I do things that are wrong and I don't even know they're wrong. But as I study your Word, you begin to probe and to show me and to cleanse me. I can repent of them as you show me. Then it's prayer. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Sins that I know about and that I deliberately do. Like the one with Bathsheba or the one with Uriah. When you do those, what happens? You start walking that way, they get dominion over you. An act becomes a habit. You become a slave to sin. He says, let not them have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent of the great transgression. I won't be found ultimately rejecting you. Let the words of my mouth, let what I say, and the meditations of my heart, what I think, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God, let me think and say and live and do those things that are pleasing to you. God, that's what I want. The gratitude that David felt as a recipient of this revelation. Well, think of our privilege. The greatest thing that Israel had was. They were made the receptacle of God's oracles, God's Word. That set them off from every other nation. God blessed that nation. He gave them His prophets. He gave them His Word. You and I have far more of that Word than they did. We have the New Testament. You know, when you think of the glory of God as sin in nature, what an incredible being He is. The power He has. The wisdom He has. And then that this God has revealed Himself in detail. He wants to enter into a relation with me. How that can take place is revealed in detail in His Word. What a valuable thing this is. And our responsibility, that's our privilege, our responsibility is to study His Word, study to show ourselves approved unto God. Spend time getting a handle. You know, if I went to work for a company in this city, and the president of the company called me and he said, Frank, do you want to succeed here? Yes, sir. Well, I've written a book. Here's the book. If you want to succeed here, you learn what's in this book, and you put it into practice. I'd have it memorized by tomorrow morning. I'd stay up all night. I would learn and practice what he had to. Well, the God of the universe says, Frank, do you want to succeed in life? Yes, sir. You don't want to miss life and the life to come. No, sir. All right, I've written a book. You have? Yes, I have. You absorb what's in that book. You learn it. Well, Lord, it's tough. Some of it is hard to understand. Well, don't worry about that part. You just worry about the part you can understand. I don't have to understand Daniel in Revelation? No. I can get along if I don't understand it? Yes. You just absorb the part you can absorb. And you put it into effect. And you'll succeed in life and in the life to come. And I say... Goodness, and I put it on the shelf and never opened it. Isn't that stupid? But people do that. Study to show ourselves approved unto God. Take advantage of our Sunday school classes here. We have great teachers. Don't miss that. Three years in our Sunday school is equivalent to a seminary degree. Isn't it, Tom? That's right. Okay, okay. Okay. Uh, Take advantage of that. Take advantage of uh, the small groups. Take advantage of a daily quiet time and the tools we've got to help you with that. But not just learning it, but applying it, obeying it. First, obey it in receiving Jesus Christ into your life. And second, in following His teachings. Christ said that the Scriptures were the Word of God. It is written. You do err, not knowing the Scriptures. O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, he told his disciples. Settle it in your mind, whether it is authoritative. Don't play around with that issue. Settle that issue. Get in there and study it. If you've got some questions, come to me and let's wrestle with that together. There are a lot of problems with the inspiration of the Bible. There are a lot of problems with it. Let's wrestle with that and settle it in our hearts. And then let's stand on the Bible. And if men make fun of us, that's all right. Let's stand there with Luther and Calvin and Wesley and Augustine and all the great men that God used down through the days. And let's spread the message like the man on the plane. Let's be sharing it with others. You're not trained to share it, that's where EE training comes in, which we'll start shortly this month. It may be that you're like the girl, the stewardess, where you have a great guilt hanging over your head, you don't know what to do with it. Maybe you've never really received Jesus into your life, that's the starting place. What He did for you is pictured in the Lord's Supper here His death for our sins, His offer through His shed blood. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, if you're like the stewardess and you've never really responded to Christ, maybe didn't know about it, but you're prepared to do so today, you're willing to have a Master and you believe His claims, you pray in your heart like this, Lord Jesus, thank You for dying for me. I am guilty and I need cleansing. I surrender to You. and Come into my life and cleanse me. For the rest of us and our hearts, let's rededicate ourselves to standing on and spreading the Scriptures as God's revelation. Amen.